Well, church, have you ever just been empty? Have you ever just not had anything left in you? You've given, you've stretched yourself, you've been stretched thin. Anybody there? Anybody there? Jesus was tired. And Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, was pretty empty. He had just served in ministry, really intensively, healing people, teaching. He would give in himself. He had just trained his disciples, and he had sent them out. And he had, you know, it's, it was hard training those disciples. And he had sent them out, and they were out doing ministry, and they were coming back, and it was exciting, but it was, it was intense ministry. And then he gets news that there was a, a horrible, tragic death of John the Baptist, his cousin and the prophet that went ahead of him. He was beheaded in this horribly tragic way. And Jesus is carrying all this. He's tired. It's been bad news after bad news. It's been good stuff in the midst of the hard stuff. It's been intense. Anybody relates to an intense season. And so everybody wants to be around Jesus still. They're not paying attention to the fact that he's tired, that he's given all that he has, or that he's just gone through a tragedy. They want to be with him, and they keep seeking him out. And the scriptures tell us in the Gospel of Mark that so many people were coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have a chance to eat. And so it's really good news. When Jesus goes to his disciples, he says, hey, hey, we're, we're tired. He says, come away with me by yourselves, and let's go to a quiet place and rest. Oh, doesn't that sound good? And his disciples think, yes, this is good. This is exactly what we need. We need food. We need sleep. We need some space. The introverts in the group are like, I'm, I'm done. We just need to refill. So Jesus says, let's get in the boat. Let's sail across the Sea of Galilee, and let's, let's go to a private place. So they get in the boat. They sail across the sea. And as they're, as, as they're going across the Sea of Galilee, they see in the distance some shadowy figures. And as the boat gets closer, they see the number of shadowy figures growing. And as the boat gets closer and closer and closer to the shore, there's a crowd, a bigger crowd, and an even bigger crowd. The crowds found out where he was going, and they ran ahead and followed him. So here they are, trying to get to their beach vacation, and they can't get away. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. Just imagine this. Just imagine this. And imagine what it's like to be the disciples. 
they're just following Jesus. They're, they're just kind of along for this. And imagine them, I, I just imagine as they're in this boat, getting closer to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, them saying, okay, Jesus, now what? Are we going to turn around and go back? Are we going to go somewhere else? No? Okay, well, when we get there, you're going to send them away, right? Because we're tired. Just don't forget we're tired. Verse 34, this is what Jesus does. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now this isn't in the Bible, but I just, I just kind of imagine the scenario. The disciples and Jesus, they get out of the boat, the disciples are like, oh no. He's, he's going to talk to him. He's going to talk to him. And then Jesus gets to the people, and I just imagine the disciples looking at Jesus, and they see the compassion washing all over Jesus' face, and they think, oh, no, Jesus, not your compassion again. <laughs> and it's at this point that the disciples realize they're not going to go away to a quiet place and get some rest, but there's something that's else that's going to happen. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, there's a big crowd. Jesus begins to teach. The scriptures say he begins to teach them many things, which means this is going to go on for a little while. Keep in mind that the disciples are not only emotionally unprepared for a big ministry event. They are actually completely unprepared for a big ministry event and did not see this one coming at all. Now this ministry event is going to get big. The scripture is going to tell us at the end of the passage that about 5,000 men were there plus women and children. That's a big crowd. That's a big crowd to not be prepared for. Now if we were going to organize a big convention like this outdoors, what are some of the things you have to do? I mean, I've got a planning team, and we do brainstorming. We figure out what we need to do. Uh, we have some very responsible people who say, well, you know, we need to call the city. We need to get a permit for an, a noise permit, you know, for an outdoor gathering. We had to get those when we had our outdoor services. We, we did that once we remembered. We had a few illegal weeks, but then we remembered, and then we did it properly. <laughs> you do advertising. You tell people, hey, there's going to be this big thing. You should come. There's no advertising. We're going to need a sound system. We're going to have to set up, I mean, we're going to have to have a good sound system. And a, a sound system that works outside is, you know, it's kind of a big thing. It's, it's a lot of work to set up. You've got to run the cables and you've got to tape it down so nobody trips over stuff. It, it's a lot of work to set that up. And incidentally, on social media, I'm going to post you a really interesting article about acoustics and how they worked in outdoor areas like this. It's, I thought it was very fascinating because some of you are wondering how this happened with the sound system. Uh, you have to set up security, you know, just in case. When you've got that many people, you need security. You need to secure public restrooms, because what are you going to do when you've got 5,000-plus people who need restrooms? Well, and of course, you're probably going to call in the food trucks for an event that's long and that many people. Why wouldn't you hire the food trucks to come in and you know, sell food? You should distribute bottled water, at least, so people don't get weak or, or faint or tired in the heat. So you, you, know, you know at least one of these disciples had to be a details guy, right? Like, at least one of them had to be thinking about stuff. But none of this was prepared. And in short, a, a convention of 5,000 men plus women and children was not on their calendars when they woke up that morning. 
But Jesus, when he sees the crowds flocking to him, when he sees the people swarming and coming and coming and coming, and when he sees the, the eagerness on their face, and he sees the, the sick and the weak and the wounded that are, and the disabled that are being brought to him, he sees their need. And beyond that, he sees into their hearts and he sees their lostness. And he sees that they are like shepherdless sheep. Shepherdless sheep, going the wrong way, not knowing where they're going. And Jesus has compassion. So he sets aside his own need for rest. And he began teaching them many things. Eventually, as time goes on, Jesus is teaching, his, his disciples come to him. And they say, hey, Jesus, the people don't have any food to eat. I think we should do something about this. I think that's a nice way of them really saying, come on, Jesus, can we please go home now? <laughs> it, it reminds me of when uh, I was a, a pastor's kid growing up, and I remember every Sunday going over to my mom, hey, mom, and she's talking to people, you know, because that's what you do. Mom, mom, can we go home now? Mom, can we go home now? And I kind of imagine the disciples saying, all right, Jesus, remember we're tired. Verse 35, Mark 6, 35. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They are tired. They're overly tired. They're empty. They're just needing to take care of themselves. They really just want to go. The people are actually legitimately hungry, too, at this point. And Jesus comes to them with this impossible statement. You, you give them something to eat. <laughs> the disciples' solution is to push them away, right? Send them away. And Jesus' solution is to engage with them, pull them closer. Jesus. And that there are several times in the scriptures when the Lord is about to do a miraculous feeding and the people that the Lord is working with object because they don't think it's possible. One of those times is in the book of Numbers when Moses was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. He was leading them out of captivity into deliverance and into freedom. He was leading them toward the promised land, which was the place of rest. But it took a while to get there, and there were hindrances and interruptions along the way. And so the Lord speaks to Moses, and this is what happens in Numbers chapter 11. The people are grumbling. Numbers 11 verse 4, the rabble with them, those are the, the grumpy people, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. 
the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Verse 13, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat. Skipping down to verse 18, tell the people, the Lord says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month. Now Moses is looking at all these people, and he's thinking, he's going to feed them for a month? He's going to give them meat for a month? We're in the desert. We're in the wilderness. There's nothing here. This is a dry and barren place. Numbers 11.21, Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and Lord, you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. You know, this passage that we're looking at in Mark 6 about the, the feeding of the 5,000, it is one of the few major miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels. You need to know that this feeding of the 5,000 was not just one of Jesus' parables. This was a historical event. This happened. And, and why is it that both here in the, the feeding of the 5,000 passage and in the Numbers passage in which Moses, God tells Moses that he's going to feed the Israelites for, the, for a month. Why is it that people object when God says he's about to do this big thing? Can't do that, God. What do you mean you feed? What do you mean you feed them? What do you mean you give them food? Why is it that we object to God doing something big? What is it that keeps us from hoping that God will move? So where the disciples say, send people away so they can eat, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Continuing in Mark chapter 6, verse 37. They said to him, they don't come right out and say no. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They say that is way too much money. Their first excuse is, it just costs too much. God, we can't do it because it costs too much. Have you ever, church, told God no because you believed it cost too much? The median household income in Grand Rapids, as of just about two years ago, was $50,103. Median household, median household income, $50,103. Eight months' wages 
for someone living, for the median person living in Grand Rapids would be about $33,000. The disciples are saying, it's too expensive. It's definitely too expensive to be obedient to you, God. The other thing that the disciples are probably thinking is it's just too difficult. They're, they're located probably on the plain of Bethsaida, a flat piece of land in the Jordan Valley at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And there were two major cities that were close by. One was, uh, Bethsaida would have been a Hellenistic city, a Greek city, which would have probably been off limits for the Jews to buy bread for, from. And then there was another city called Capernaum, which was about four miles away. And that was probably the nearest option for buying bread. Now, Capernaum was thought to have a population of about 7,500 people at that time. And so the likelihood of them being able to supply bread for 5,000 men plus women and children just was a little unlikely. So they're, 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 the disciples are saying, let's look at the practical things, God. Let's look at the practical things, Jesus. And practical things tell us that you can't move. Well, the story continues where Jesus says to them in verse 38, How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. The Gospel of John tells us a, a little bit more detail on this part of the story, and the Gospel of John tells us that the five loaves and two fish came from a little boy. The disciples had gone out to look for food, and they find one person, one little boy who has five loaves and two fish. And so the, the third excuse that I think they would bring to Jesus would be, we don't have enough. We only have this little bit. I find it so interesting of what Jesus says to them. In verse 38, if, if you could pull that back up, on verse 38, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And then what does he tell them to do? Go and see. Okay, just picture this. These disciples and Jesus, they're standing in a huddle. Just, the disciples are like, Jesus, you gotta, like, you gotta call this. You gotta send the people home. Jesus says, no, you gotta feed them. And they're like, really? And then Jesus says, yeah, go see how much food you can find. I, I mean, I don't know what their attitudes were like. Maybe some of them had faith and they were just like, okay, I'm gonna go see what great things God's gonna do. But I'm kind of guessing that at this point with the level of exhaustion and physical tiredness and with the impossibility of the situation before them, I'm kind of guessing that when the disciples left Jesus and went to go and see, that they might have been saying things like, uh, hey, do you have any, Jesus is wondering if you have any food you can share. <laughs> I, know, I know it's a little funny, but would you be willing to share a little bit? Uh, no, okay, okay, no problem. Uh, how hard did they really try, right? There's this scarcity. There's not enough. There's not enough money. There's not enough bread. There's not enough food. There's not enough will. There's not enough faith. There's not enough trust. Food was scarce. In City Life, I think that we are pretty confident in our own scarcity in life. We feel aware of what we're lacking, where we're falling short. We're, we're pretty sure of our own scarcity. And, and I think that when it comes to spiritual things, we have been conditioned to live in a place of 
of having a poverty mentality about spiritual things. We think things like, God is strong, and we sing these praises to him, and we, we sing these songs, God, you are strong. But then we actually believe deep down, but he doesn't really want to help me. Or God is strong, but my situation is just so complicated. And we think things like, God is big, but he doesn't care about the tiny details of my life. Like, why would God pay attention to what I'm going through today? It's not like a big tragedy. It's just kind of a bad day. Why would God care? It's a scarcity mentality that God's not that big. Or we have this this scarcity mentality that God tolerates me, and I just, you know, he, he, he puts up with me. And I'm so thankful that God puts up with me. But he doesn't, you know, like, love me all the time. Or we have this mentality of God is just generally ongoing disappointed in me. Or this sense of God doesn't really want to talk with me. Why would the God of universe talk to little old me? I'm just ordinary old person. And so we live in this space of, in our heads, mentally believing that God is big and strong and knows us and loves us, but living in such a way as if we don't really get it. It's the difference between what we've talked about all through the month of January with having a mental understanding of prayer versus a heart experience of it. This is the same idea. And yet... There's all this scarcity going on. And yet, despite the disciples' scarce faith and scarce efforts, perhaps they're filled with doubt, they do come up with a scarce offering. They do come up with the five loaves and the two fish, and they bring these to Jesus, and they say, okay, Jesus, this is what we've got. Now, five loaves and two fish are not enough to feed city life, much less 5,000 men plus women and children. Five loaves and two fish are really probably not enough to feed my two teenage boys. And they say, this is what we've got. And it's not much, but Jesus chooses to work with it. The story continues like this in verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Now when you listened to a teacher, you should... And when you, were, when you were going to a banquet and were being served food, you sat. And so Jesus is, in essence, inviting them to recline at a banquet that is going to be forthcoming, supposedly. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. (laughs) Jesus takes this little offering and he holds it up. He says, all right, Father, thank you for this food. And then he breaks it. Now, it's hard to say exactly where the miracle starts to happen. I, they don't say it. None of the Gospels really spell it out and say it. It happened like this, and it was so amazing. They just said, there just was more. And, and so I wondered, when does the multiplication start happening? Does it happen during the prayer? Does it happen after the amen? Does it happen in the middle of the distribution? 
Does it happen as he breaks it? I don't know how it happens, but it's happening here. And so what was given to Jesus gets multiplied, and then Jesus, in turn, gives thanks. Jesus gives to the disciples, and then the disciples give to the people. There's this chain reaction of giving that is happening. And out of scarcity, there is this abundance and this generosity. There's giving and giving and giving. He gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Verse 42. Will you read this verse out loud with me? They all ate and were satisfied. You can stop there. Let's say that again. They all ate and were satisfied. They ate. They all ate. They all ate and they were satisfied. Mm. It's so good to be satisfied, doesn't it? And after they ate, after they broke the bread and I presume, I don't know how they did the fish, how they did that. Maybe they had a knife and they cut the fish and spread it. Maybe they ate, maybe they were little fish and ate them whole. I don't know, but they, they spread out the fish. Everybody got the food. And when they're done, it says in verse 30, 43, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Out of scarcity, there is enough. And church, not only enough. Out of scarcity, there are leftovers. Out of scarcity, there is enough, there is abundance. There is completeness. Now, earlier we made this connection between Moses and his job of feeding the Israelites in the wilderness. And Moses, Moses, uh, Mo- Moses says that he, he, he goes and asks the Lord at the beginning of this story, he goes and asks the Lord to please bring leadership to these people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. He says in Numbers 27, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Now, as the, as the disciple Mark is writing his gospel, he is making a connection here in his writing to Moses, who was praying that the people would, were like sheep without a shepherd and they needed provision. Mark is making a point in his gospel that Jesus sees the people as sheep without a shepherd, and he is their shepherd, and he is coming to shepherd the sheep. Moses also meets the people out in a wilderness area, a dry, desolate, weary area where they were just coming out of bondage, but they hadn't yet gotten into rest. And God provides for them in this space. This wilderness is this place where God builds and matures people. It's this place where God strengthens and blesses and meets his people. Fun little fact, Moses also organizes the people into groups of 50s and 100s. And here in the Gospel of Mark, the people have loaves and fish. And and do you remember what it was that the people are given to eat in the wilderness? They are given what from heaven? Manna, bread, and quail, a kind of fish. And in all these cases, the people are satisfied. In John, in the same chapter in John 6, but a few verses down, 
Jesus talks to his disciples a little bit later. Or excuse me, he talks to the people a little bit later. And he says to the people in verse 26, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Verse 30, the people say to Jesus, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So let me just pause and say, so the people uh, that are coming to hear Jesus in this gospel of Mark, they're making the connection. This is just like what happened with, Israel, with when, we, when our people were in the, in the desert and when Moses fed them. This is exactly the same kind of thing. They're making the connection here. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is communicating to them that he is the shepherd who has come to lead the sheep. He is the deliverer who has come to take people out of bondage into the promised land. He is the one who has come to be the new and greater Moses to deliver us out of what we have been in into the hope for this future where there will be rest and feasting. Jesus provides what Moses can't. Manna could be gathered for a day, but it couldn't be saved. Here there are leftovers. You couldn't, keep, you couldn't have manna leftovers, but you can have Jesus leftovers. Jesus is a new and greater Moses. He is the deliverer who has come to lead us out of bondage into freedom. He is a deliverer who has come to lead us through our desolate spaces, who has come to carry us through our maturing times of life and to bring us into abundance and abundant life. This deliverer has come, church, to bring us out of exhaustion and weariness and hunger into nourishment and rest. This is a picture of the future work of God. What Jesus is giving them in this moment is a taste of what will one day be our permanent reality for those who have put our faith in Jesus. When we sit at the heavenly banquet, when we are with Jesus in the place of rest, at the great banquet, at the feast of Jesus, that's what Jesus is showing us here. This is his love for us. This is his abundant provision for us. This is his promise for us for our future with him. This is what Jesus is doing with you along the way. And he is sufficient. God is inclined toward you. Your impossible situations are not impossible with God. You cannot outgive God. Anything you give to him, your bread, your fish, your time, your money, you can't outgive him. Earlier we said we're pretty sure of our own scarcity. We, we live 
We live with these mental blocks that we are limited in our access to God, that we are limited in accessing God's power. But here's what you need to know. We think things like, God, you're strong, but you don't want to help me. Church, he is available. He is available. Psalm 86, 7 says, In the day of trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Some of you need to hear that today, that in the day of trouble, you can call to God, and he will answer you. Some of you think God is so big, he doesn't care about the tiny details of my life. You think he doesn't care about, about what I'm dealing with in my job. He doesn't care about this little relationship thing that I had going on. He doesn't care about my love life. He doesn't care about how my, my problems with my kids. Church, the scriptures tell us that he knows even when a sparrow falls. If he knows that, surely he cares about you. But the scripture says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He's not just a trivia buff who likes to know that sort of stuff. He actually wants to know you. He knows you. He cares. Some of you think God tolerates me, but he doesn't love me because I'm just, I'm just not that good. Here's what the scripture says about you, and it is not based on your level of qualification. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You know, parents can love their kids. They can lavish love on their kids. But the kids have to be able to receive it in order to really know it. Some of us have hardened ourselves toward that, and we, we don't get it yet. And maybe you just need to hear it a hundred times. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you. It's there. It's here. It's present. His love for you is abundant, and it is not based on your level of merit or qualification. It is just because you are his child. Some of us have the, the scarcity mentality that God's usually disappointed in me because I'm usually just kind of a big disappointment. In Zephaniah 3.17, there's so many passages I could have chosen for this one. But Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. Wait, what was that? He will take what? Great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You have a God who enjoys you. You have a God who enjoys you. And then finally, some of us think, well, God, he's the God of the universe. Why? He wouldn't want to talk to me. He talks to some people, but he doesn't talk to me. Jeremiah 33 reminds, t promises us that the Lord says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And all this is because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. You have a God who's crazy about you. He's gone all out for you. 
He is abundant. He is full. His resources are not lacking. It is not hard for him to provide. It is not hard for him to teach you and shape you and mature you. It is not hard for him to have a plan for you. He is available and accessible. He is in charge, so you don't just get what you want. He is God, but he is for you. And everything that he has for you is all for your best. He loves you. And when it comes to God, there is not only enough, there's 12 basketfuls left over. There's abundance. This is the picture of Jesus, the Jesus who has come to carry us out of bondage through testing into freedom and feasting and hope. This is your God. And when it comes to God, there's not only enough, there's 12 basketfuls left over. Bow your heads for a moment. Jesus, we pause right now. We just close our eyes and we, we sit in your presence for a moment. Jesus, we so often go about our daily lives feeling hungry and tired and empty. We've given and given. And we try to come away with you for a while and get some rest, and then it gets interrupted. And yet, as we follow you in our interruptions, you still work, and you work in a big way. The scripture says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God, your well is deep. Your resources are big. Your desire for us is deep. Your love for us is eternal. And Lord, my prayer for us today is that we will have grace to know how much you love us. And we pause and sit here in your love, God. Gracious and compassionate, full of mercy and abounding in love and faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, to me. When Jesus took the loaves and the fish, he held them up to the Father, and he said, he presented them to the Father. And the word that the author Mark uses in his gospel is he gave thanks. Eucharisto, the Greek word for giving thanks. And we sometimes call communion the Eucharist, the great thanksgiving. As you come today, I invite you to come with thanks. Thanks for a God who has enough. So as we sing this song, please come forward and take the elements and return to your seat and reflect with thanks 
and all that God has given to you.